All right, praise God. Good morning. Turn with me to Romans, wow, chapter 7, I just opened right up to it. Is that how you do it, Bob? <laughs> Romans 7, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 to open up our message. Are you there? Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning her husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law, through the body of Christ, so that you may be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. So grace meets or addresses both the law keeper and the law breaker. Many Christians focus on keeping the Old Testament laws of, of God, and their concept of victorious living is to avoid wrong actions and do right ones. Other Christians live a carnal life with their minds set on the flesh. Grace abusers, prodigals. Remember the two brothers and the father? Um, when I look at it, I see one brother, one son, you know, the one that stayed at home and followed all rules. He's kind of the, uh, the, the law, represents the law, the rule keeper, and the prodigal, you know, went out and came back. But the father represents grace. Uh, both were loved, both were welcome. You know, one was a rule, rule keeper and the other was a rule breaker. But they were both loved by the Father and they each learned a lesson about grace coming from different ends of the spectrum. <clears throat> so any approach to Christian living that focuses on keeping rules as a means of experiencing victory or growing spiritually is legalism. Yet, when you properly understand your relationship to God, the rules kind of tend to take care of themselves. But when your focus is on the rules rather than Jesus, spiritual failure is certain. It's certain. 
hanging on to your old life while claiming to be saved as a method of being set free by Jesus is abusing grace. We are a new creation. The old man has died and the renewed man lives. We, we simply need to turn our sin over to Jesus and let him deal with it. Yeah. Let him deal with it. We've already proven to ourselves and the world that we can't perform the law. We've proven it. So the, the definition of sin has not changed. I mean, God communicates what sin is in the Bible. But the solution has changed. The solution's changed. Yesterday, in the old days, we would bring a uh, sacrifice once a year for the atoning for our sins. But today, we receive Jesus as our sacrifice. Does that make the connection? He atones for our sin because he died once for all. We admit that we can't defeat sin. We can't defeat it. And we need a Savior. That's what coming to Christ is about. We recognize our sin, and we, we admit that we've not been able to overcome it, and we need a Savior. And He does it. So it begins first with our confession of our sin, and we're forgiven of our sin. We surrender our life to Jesus. It's, it's not about, okay, Jesus, I'm going to do everything right now. No, we've got to surrender our life because we've already proven we can't do it right. And then the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And then we live to the Spirit, not to the flesh. Have you done this? I hope so. We're back in Romans 7, uh, down to verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. What? Have you, have you read that before? That's amazing. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. Wow. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came in, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. Wow. That's amazing. Um, it's, I don't think it's why the way that we intuitively approach understanding the law. And we're talking about the Mosaic Law, the Old Covenant. So what he's saying is if, if there were no sin, there would be no death. We understand that from the Adam and Eve in the garden and being uh, sin and getting cast out of the garden. We understand 
Without the law, sin is not perceived or imputed. In other words, if there wasn't the commandment telling us this is what holy is, we wouldn't know what it is. So the law makes sin the more grievous by making God's will the more clear. But here's the good news. The Christian, the redeemed, the born-again believer is set free from the law. We are dead to the law. We're dead to the law. The, the law should not arouse us anymore. It should, we, it should be like when you touch a dead person, they're not going to respond. <laughs> Our old self is subject to the law, but we now live by a new law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So we're still in Romans, down to chapter 8, starting with verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might go fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Continue on, verse 5. For those who are walking according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are walking according to the Spirit <clears throat> Set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it does not, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Hmm. He's not mincing words there, is he? But look how freeing it is if you just think it through. A person who focuses on keeping rules, obeying the law, experiences constant frustration. Why? Because legalism activates the law of sin and death. The law arouses the desire to sin. That seems a little backwards, doesn't it? Um, not to me, though. <laughs> not to me. Um, you know, a person who chooses to live in their sin, you know, it's, in other words, if, if we're living in some of the same kind of sin that we had before we came to Christ, and we're not even acknowledging it as sin, we continue to practice it, um, we're activating the flesh. We're giving the flesh the opportunity to work in and on us. Um, we begin to choose to sin just so that we can demonstrate that we're free. Uh, again, some of you rule followers, maybe that doesn't make sense, but to those of us that are lawbreakers, uh, it makes total sense. Uh, you know, we want to prove that the law has no power over us. So we say, yeah, see, watch this. I'm going to do this. I, I remember uh, back 
what, 25 years ago. Um, I got to the point where I basically was not supposed to be uh, drinking beer or anything because I was going to a drunk driving class and, you know, you can't go to a drunk, you know, you got to show so good. <laughs> and so I, on the other days I would uh, say, well, you know, I can drink a beer or two. I mean, you know, what law says I can't do that? What am I thinking? You know, it's, I'm just fighting against the law, the rules that are on me. And we do that because the law arouses this desire to sin. So um, take a minute and think about this. Um, Bob, Jeff, all of us are are exhorting each one to read the Bible during the week. But if you take that, or if your understanding of that exhortation is to read the Bible and pray and witness because it's an obligation, because we told you you have to do it if you really want to be a Christian, you got the wrong motivation. Um, you're not going to develop an intimacy with God through obligation. We should do it out of love. You know, we, we want to love Jesus. We want to experience his love. We, we do it because we want to hear from him. We want to be around him. We want to talk to him. We want to listen to him. So it should be out of love, not an obligation. So... Take a moment to just kind of analyze your own heart. When, when you go home during the week, are you saying to yourself, oh, i got to read the Bible today because so-and-so said I need to. Or, oh, i got to pray for an hour because somebody said i got to do that. That's the only way to do it. Do you feel any of those obligations or commands? Or do you approach and say, oh, good morning, Lord. Good morning, Jesus. You know, let me see what you have to say. You know, Lord, you know I've been wrestling with this issue. What you know? What do you have to say? What should I do? You know, it's it's our motivation, our attitude, how we approach it. Because the paradox is, we need to do those things. We need to read the Bible and pray and worship and gather to develop our intimacy with God. But it's why we do it, why we approach it. So we won't have that intimacy if we don't do it. But then if we're doing it because we think we're commanded to do it, we have to do it to be intimate, we might not do it. Does that circle make sense? <laughs> well, here's a couple of great things. First of all, deliverance from the law implies... <coughs> that he exempts us from doing what is required of the law because in grace he does it himself. Let me kind of paraphrase that. In other words, if you feel burdened by the obligations of Christianity, the traditions of Christianity, if you feel a burden, um, we need to recognize that Jesus has done it for us. And he will do it for us. Um, as I've been saying, we can't obey the law. We can't perfect doing it. 
And so we know that we need a Savior. And we, and we have this desire where we want to get out of that sin, but how do we do it? Because, you know, we've already tried to just do it by our own willpower, but we need God in us to help us do it. So, as I said, the law did not disappear. We can't just like ignore half the Bible or three-fourths of the Bible. It didn't disappear, but the solution has changed, and that is Jesus surrendering our lives, throwing our sin at his feet, and let him deal with it. The consequences of sin hasn't disappeared either, but the solution has changed. So the Christian life does not revolve around doing or avoiding or... You know, in other words, we, you know, we'll tiptoe around, we'll try to avoid uh, reminders or triggers to sin. And it gets to the point where we're almost superstitious. You know, whenever I would go to the grocery store with Bethany, she wouldn't let me step on the brown squares because, you know, that was bad. We had to step on the white squares. <laughs> you know, we can, we can take some of these things and almost create a superstition out of them. And Paul asks the church when they were wrestling with this issue of, you know, the law, but wait a minute, Jesus, look, these guys, um, they've come out of the law, and now they're just breaking every kind of rule. What's going on here? And, and Paul asks the church, did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law, or by hearing with faith? <coughs> did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by hearing with faith. And we know the answer is hearing with faith, right? And now he asks the church, are you so foolish that you, be, you began by the Spirit to think that now you're being perfected by the flesh? So we, we become born again. And we're following Jesus. And we think, wow, i got to do all these Christian things so I can be a perfect Christian, you know? Read the Bible so much, praying so much, doing this, that, and the other thing. So we, we think we're perfecting our walk with Christ by doing them, but it's out of obligation. It's not out of a love relationship. That could hurt, that question. Our old man is dead, but the flesh is still very much with us. Um, we feel obligated to do the things of the law even after we've been saved by grace. Others will feel at liberty to live in the world unchanged. But neither end of the spectrum is living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. Now Paul says, we say, you know, does that mean that the law is sin? No, the law is holy. But we can't meet it. We need a Savior. We need the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. So there's this expression we have called, you can't see the forest through the trees. You know, so you're, you're standing there in a grove of trees, and you see all these trees, and they make up a forest. But we say, where's the forest? I can see a bunch of trees. Where's the forest? And it's kind of the same way sometimes when we look at Scripture, trying to understand all of the things that we're reading and making sense out of them. 
Jesus told the uh, Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, and you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Ouch. This is the point. It's a love relationship with Jesus. We receive his grace, we receive his spirit, and then we let him work in and through us to rid ourselves of things that are destructive, things that we don't like, things that don't make Jesus happy. And over time, we see our life change. It's transformed. Christians <clears throat> under the law are those that major on the Old Testament scriptures, believing they have eternal life that way by obeying the laws, by saying, you know, I'm not guilty of this, I'm not guilty of that. They even, uh, you know, they'll attend church regularly, preach, um, preach teach Bible classes, they'll uh, sing and pray and tithe, because that's what they think Jesus expects. And they do it without one ounce of spiritual life in them. You know, we uh, here at Amazing Grace, um, everyone jumps in and helps with the various ministries that are going on. And we're reaching out and touching people in their lives. But what do they see? They've got to see and experience the Holy Spirit in us, not just people that are doing a bunch of good stuff. So we have to do it with the right motivations. We begin to experience Christ as our life on a daily basis, and all these matters of Christian living become a natural expression and an overflow of his life in us. I, I don't know if I'm communicating it very well. It's, you know, with him in us, it'll just come more naturally. We, we won't have to um, struggle and fight with it because he's doing it for us. So, a couple little quotes you can take home with you. Guilt and obligation are not our spiritual guides. And grace is not licentiousness. Grace is a gift. It's a gift. It's given to us. It's not earned or bought. We can't, we don't clean ourselves up and do so many good things in order to have grace, to get grace. It starts with grace. It, it's given to us. Just given. Say, thank you, Lord. I'll open it right up. <laughs> but the question, what if we don't see change in our life? Or what if we don't see change in another person's life? It's a real question. We struggle with it. Everybody struggles with that. You know, the, the stubborn rebellion to continue in sin. We want what we want. Our flesh is just going to take control. Well, here's, here's some answers to those questions. The first one is, a Christian whose lifestyle contradicts the holy nature of Christ will inevitably experience anxiety. 
A sinning Christian is behaving in a way that is unnatural. Okay? So what I mean is when you're living uh, before Christ as the old man, you know, the, the sinning things that we do, <clears throat> we don't even think of them as sin. You know, it's natural. Piece of cake. I know how to do this. In fact, I'm getting really good at it. doesn't bother me. You know, your, your brother tells you, oh, man, you're sinning. You're doing things wrong. Oh, no, I'm not. There's nothing wrong with this. Come join me. So a sinning Christian is behaving in a way that's unnatural. When we become born again, you cannot help but feel and understand when you start to behave in your old ways, wow, this really isn't what God wants for me. You won't feel right about your old behavior. People who don't belong to Christ are not bothered when they sin. They don't see it as sin. It doesn't bother them. They have no spirit in them telling them, Oh, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. That wouldn't be profitable. Rather, they have the spirit in them that says, yeah, go ahead, do more. And the second answer is to what if we don't see change in somebody's life who declares being a Christian? Is while the old man is dead, the flesh is still an enemy to be reckoned with every day. <laughs> we know that. Um, to walk after the flesh simply means to live a lifestyle which does not rely on Christ as its source. Christian service which doesn't overflow from our walk with Christ is nothing but flesh. What? You mean I could be serving God and it's, it's not real service? It's, it's just flesh? Yeah. Because what matters is in, what's in here. Why are you doing? What is, what is coming out of you? What do people see coming out of you because of what you believe? You know, a, a Christian who lives according to the flesh will be like this. Sometimes they're really charged up and fired up and on fire, and other times they're down in the pit. And it's, oh, man, I'm just, this isn't working for me. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Amen. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. So, preoccupation, that's a tough word, preoccupation uh, with sin is not liberty. So let's say that you've been delivered from the world, from the world of darkness into the kingdom, and and you've you know been delivered from a, your besetting <coughs> sin, your prevailing sin, and are you now scared that you're going to fall back into it? Do you feel almost powerless? What if I what if I do that again? What if it happens? And you, and you begin to avoid people or doing things just to prevent it from happening. Again, almost to an extreme, almost to a superstition. Well, here's, here's the uh, answer. Beware of giving too much credit to Satan. Rather, 
focus more on Jesus and less on Satan and the sin. Um, whenever Doug and I and Larry, we go skiing, and our whole thing is uh, we're, we're trying to ski in the trees and not hit a tree. And uh, the, the expression is, uh, what, what is it, Doug? Target avoidance or something? Target fixation. That's yeah, it's target fixation. Yeah, so don't look at it and go hit it. Yeah, if you're staring at that tree, you are going to hit it. Yeah. It's just like sin. If we're focused on sin because we're we know the power of that sin over us, if we keep focusing on it, we're going to hit it. Instead, focus on Jesus. Amen. Don't focus on your temptation to sin. Mark, the second part of that is. Avoid target fixation. You look where you're going, not what you're trying to avoid. Yeah, <laughs> that works. There's there's target fixation in rafting also. If you, if you focus yeah. on that rock, you're going to hit it. Yeah. yeah, every time. It holds true. I, I do remember trying to learn to ski in the trees with Mark, and he would be behind me yelling. Look at the space, not the tree. And then you turn around and tell him to quit yelling at you the tree. <laughs> so preoccupation with sin stimulates the internal conflict in us that will ultimately enslave us to the very sins we're trying to avoid. Amen. Wow. So walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Trust in God. He is able to keep you from stumbling. Uh, let's finish up with our last scripture here in Jude 1. So Jude is the uh, last book right before uh, Revelation. Jude 1, and we'll be... Starting with verse 24 or 17. Are you there? Jude 1, beginning with verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own godly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minds, void of the spirit. But you, beloved, mm -hmm. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and to have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, uh, okay, stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, blameless, with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's him who's able to make us do this. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. So, the heart of walking in the Spirit 
You know, we say walk in the Spirit is to let Christ do the walking through us. We often reverse the order. And we try to overcome our sinful desires first so that we might be able to walk in the Spirit. So do you now see how that's backwards based on what we've been talking about? And everybody said, yeah, amen. Amen. (laughs) The flesh only looks ugly when we see it through the eyes of Christ. And the only remedy for flesh is walking in the Spirit. When Christians fail to abide in Christ, they are asserting their own independence. So, you see, we have to surrender everything to Christ. He has to be our all in all. He is grace. So do you want to get rid of sin in your life? Maybe you just have to pray for the want to. And let Jesus give you that want to. Let him show you. So, sin is controlling you, but grace is setting you free. Sin is controlling you, grace is setting you free. We have on our uh, church website and all of our brochures and things, from day one is... um, You've been set free, so live free. Why put ourselves back under bondage? Praise God. Any uh, comments before we move to prayer time? Okay, let's gather around and pray for one another.